That's the universal truth, I think, that everybody suffers. Nobody is exempt from what we call the human condition. Everybody cries sometimes. Everybody hurts sometimes. Suffering is all around us. And the song sort of expresses something that I feel, you know, we of all people can know for certain which is that we are not alone in our suffering. And that we're not alone in the sense that other people around us are suffering and God is with us. You know, is it not working? Okay, sorry. (laughs) That uh, we're not alone. God is with us. Jesus said to his disciples, you know, I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you all alone. I'm going to send someone to you just like me who will be with you always. So I just wanted, there's one thing that is one thing I wanted to express really in this trying to make sense of suffering. It is that it is not, it won't last forever. Okay, so I wanted to just read a, a scripture from Corinthians. Uh, it's familiar, I'm sure, to you. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So Paul is making this comparison. On the one hand, you have the suffering that we endure in this life. On the other hand, in the scale of balance, you have what we are hoping for. That we were going to go to heaven, be in paradise with the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all our troubles then will be over. But in the meantime, this is what Paul is saying. In light of that, so we fix our eyes. And you know, there's a, there's a scripture that says, fix our eyes on Jesus. We fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And that's something that I have begun to understand, even though I have been a Christian for over 30 years. I knew it. But I didn't know it. But in the last two or three years, God has sort of been working in my heart and this is, it's beginning to penetrate my understanding. So, um, as another part of the introduction, I just want to deal with why. Why is there suffering? Why do we suffer? You know, we've, we've, we've heard this question answered. I think everyone has dealt with it. We deal with it, you know, usually when we come here. The reason why. And, you know, one word, Adam and Eve, two words. But uh, that's where it all began. They were in paradise, in this perfect place, surrounded by all the animals that Adam has given the, the job of naming. Everything was wonderful. You know, there was no, there was no death, there was no crying, there was no pain 
and then but God had said listen there's this one thing you know there's one thing I want you to understand that you're not to do you know and if you do do it there will be consequences and he spoke of of death and so Adam you know as we know the rest is history Adam made that choice made that decision and Eve and the whole of the human race fell with Adam and that is what we have inherited which is sin the sin nature but you know what God was not taken by surprise by what Adam did he didn't say what Adam what's he doing I don't believe it no he already knew because he knows everything nothing is hidden from God he already had a master plan and that's what we're all about in, in, in our Christianity the focal point is Jesus always the master plan was God would himself come down to earth and deal with that issue that we could not deal with we could not save ourselves and so he came at the right time in the right place and during his ministry he proved himself to be God their Messiah that they didn't really understand that it would be God who would be their Messiah and then he went to the cross and he died for our sins he took our sins upon him the wrath of God was poured out on him during that three hours of darkness you know in Isaiah it talks about the suffering servants the punishment that we deserved the punishment that should have been ours he took upon himself and we from it we have peace with God okay so I just um, let's look at a testimony somebody's individual story and we all have our stories we, I love to hear people's testimonies by the way I love to hear how God has worked in somebody's life so we're going to hear um, I'm going to sit down we're going to hear Jemima's testimony and knowing God has made sense of my suffering my name is Jemima I'm from Limerick I'm 23 years old I recently graduated from the University of Limerick with a first class honours in law plus and I have cystic fibrosis I was the first girl born into a family of four boys, so my mom was very protective of me. Um, CF kind of added to that, and she was a bit more (laughs) mama bear on me. Um, Throughout primary school, my CF, which is cystic fibrosis, didn't affect me as much as it did in secondary school and university. The main struggle I had in primary school was actually trying to maintain weight. Um, I found it very difficult to manage my medication so I was constantly taking too much or too little and I wasn't digesting my food properly because one of the main things with cystic fibrosis is that your pancreas doesn't function properly so you're constantly trying to guess how much medication to take so for a four, five, six, seven, or eight year old child that's quite difficult um, I was constantly under, underdeveloped, I was constantly underweight, I was just finding it hard even energy levels having to eat so much more food than other people. Things progressed quite a lot um, onto secondary school and even more so into college because cystic fibrosis is actually it's a progressive illness 
So the older you get, the worse it gets. And I remember regularly throughout my whole life, I would have um, different physiotherapists and doctors trying to explain to me so that I understood the severity of cystic fibrosis so that I wouldn't become complacent. And they would constantly say, just imagine two lungs on a screen and CF is basically mucus building at the bottom of your, your lungs. And over time, through chest infections, through viral infections, bacterial infections, it, it gets progressively worse. So your lungs are basically eroding over time. That can eventually lead to um, a lung transplant or, or not, if you're not fortunate enough to get one. raised in a Christian home so I always had a very Christian influence, Christian morals um, and a lot of people praying for me. I had godly parents who had a real faith in the Lord but I never had that personal relationship with Christ until I was 19 and I would constantly hear Bible verses and take them out of context just, just because I didn't understand what they meant and one verse that I always kind of held close to me for the first 19 years of my life was that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and due to not being a Christian I didn't understand what that verse meant so I felt as though that the duty was on me the responsibility was on me that I can do all things I can do it I have to work hard enough so I was always very academic I was always very disciplined and very very driven and I felt as if I didn't achieve something that was my fault that's on me but it wasn't until I got saved at the age of 19 and I understood what it meant, all things through Christ. And it was that I can achieve these things if it's God's will and if it's in Christ. The night I became a Christian at age 19, I was actually listening to a sermon at a Christian conference. And the pastor was speaking on the verse about how the devil is a roaring lion who walks about seeking whom he may devour. And I remember sitting there in fear because Fear was something that had really gripped me from the age of 17 to 19 because my CF was catastrophic and it was just accumulating and I knew that I didn't necessarily have long to go or it wasn't going to have a very, I didn't have much hope for my future to be honest and I was sitting there and he was speaking about this verse and he just completely tore it apart for those that are in Christ and it was that you don't have to worry about the roaring lion, you don't have to worry about you know, um, the sting of sin and Satan, because if Christ is on your side, he's your defender and he's your protector. And it was for the first time ever that I had heard somebody preach the gospel and I completely believed it. It just, I didn't cry, I didn't say anything, I didn't tell anybody, but I remember walking out of the, the church and up a hill and I just was completely floored. I remember saying to my mom, that was a really good sermon. And she says, yeah, yeah. And I was like, no, no, it was, it was really good. And she was like, yeah, it was. But you see, I had just got saved that night and I had truly believed that Christ died for me and that he loved me and that he wasn't going to let anything happen to me that he didn't know about or that he didn't have a greater purpose for. Any sickness and suffering, whether it be a long-term illness like I have or a short-term illness like you may be experiencing today, it can be a very isolating and lonely experience and it can be a very fearful one because you don't want to put your burdens on other people and you don't want your sickness affecting your loved ones around you. But 
ever since I became a Christian at the age of 19, it has been such an encouragement to know that Jesus Christ bore my sickness, my weakness, and my sins on Calvary, and that he knows exactly how I feel. And every single day, he is walking with me in this journey of life throughout this sickness. And he is my rock, he is my strength. It's like to suffer without having Christ, but having cystic fibrosis and knowing God has made sense of my suffering. Because before I became a Christian, death was my focal point. It was something that I feared, something that I dreaded. But now being a Christian, eternity is my hope and death is gain. My life now has a purpose. It has a greater calling. I'm no longer living just to suffer. I'm living for Christ. And that when I die, the cystic fibrosis is left in the grave. As I said before, when Jesus Christ died on Calvary, he took my sickness and my sin. So he hasn't just dealt with cystic fibrosis, but he's also dealt with my sin. And that for me is far much more important than just cystic fibrosis because that has eternal purpose, that has eternal consequences. And I know that when I die, I'll be free from cystic fibrosis and I'll also be free from sin. Knowing Jesus Christ has made sense of my suffering, but not only that, it's given my life purpose and it's given me peace. And you can have that too. That was Jemima's story, her testimony. I listened to it several times. Um, I kind of related to, to her because my daughter, when she was in primary school, her, one of her best friends had CF and she used to play with us, you know, and come to, to stay. And so I kind of, I understand a little bit, only a tiny bit, obviously. But uh, I, I also relate to it in, in, in the sense that... Um, the way God intervened in her life, you know, she came, she grew up in a Christian home, godly parents, godly influences in her life, and yet, you know, she didn't know Jesus. Her illness was progressing; things were getting worse for her. She was becoming afraid, you know, of death, and she had no hope, no purpose, no peace. You know, just the right time, she went to a meeting. And God just stepped in and opened her understanding, touched her heart. And as part of my testimony, which I've shared, um, that happened to me. I wasn't looking for God. I had no interest in God. But a week before I got saved, something was happening. Something was changing. I knew something was different. I later found out that people were praying for me. And I went to, I was invited to go to an outreach meeting. And during the meeting, I heard this song. He's alive. You know, he's no longer where he lay. He's alive. Let all the angels say. You know, he's alive. And that was a revelation to me. I, I, I thought, well, this, is, this is not a fairy story. After all, I used to despise Christians. I thought they were, you know, the stupidest of all people. I would believe anything else. So who's the stupid one? Yeah, at the time. But it's, it's a wonderful testimony. I want to come back to it. You know, and I want you to uh, go on to the text now. Is it going to? No, you're not going to put it up. Okay. So the text is from Romans 8, verse 28. Um, and it's, 
Okay, I'll read it for you. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So, you know, there's so much, there's three verses there, right? There's just so much in those three verses. It's a very dense piece of writing, meaning it's, it's so much meaning in it. Um, you know, I don't even know where to begin, really, but let's begin, we'll begin with the verse 28, obviously. So, what Paul is saying, but just to give a, a background, this was written to the believers in Rome, and they were having a lot of trouble. They were being persecuted. Um, they were probably very confused about what was going on. They didn't have the New Testament to turn to. They didn't have this letter. So Paul thought, I'll write a letter and I'll give them this foundation, this extraordinary foundation of, of understanding what we're all about, who God is, why we're in this condition and what the answer is, you know. And it's... it's I. One of my favourite writers, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, he wrote, I think, eight volumes just on the Book of Romans. And he's, he's one of my favourite writers, so I'm quite influenced by him. But um, Not only that, of course, the person who's writing this, these verses, was himself, you know, persecuted to an extraordinary degree, you know, beaten, whipped, imprisoned, shipwrecked, spat upon, whatever. He, he went through it all. You know? And here's what he's saying. He's saying that we know. This is what we know. That in all things, all things, that includes whatever you're going through now, whatever you've gone through in the past, which has involved suffering, but not... I mean, the subject matter is, some, is suffering. How can we make sense of it? It's not all suffering, obviously. But the, since I'm talking about suffering, that's the main emphasis. But there's joy as well. There's victories, there's defeats, there's failures. There's the best, there's the worst. You know? But Paul is saying all things. He is actually at work in every circumstances of our, of our life. And he's working for our good. And there is a purpose behind it. You know, and the purpose is this, you know, according to his purpose, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And that is, that's the purpose. You know, he wants, he wants us to be like Jesus. And that's the sort of theological term for that, I think, is sanctification. It's what we go through in this life, the life that we live on this earth, which can be extreme, extremely difficult at times. But I, I want to just refer quickly to Job, because I've been, I've been reading Job, and it's an amazing book. But about half or three quarters of the way through the book, he, he says something interesting, if I can find it now. 
to remember. Yeah. You know, you know the story, I think. He suffered greatly. It was, a, it was an unusual thing that was going on with Job and God and Satan. You know, they're all involved in this. I uh, won't go into that. But what he says, and he suffered enormously, far more than I can imagine, really. But halfway, three quarters of the way through the book, he says, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. So there's the sort of reason, if you like, the, the sense of his suffering. He's just beginning to get an idea of what's going on here. That God might have some... He's, he's, he's struggling to understand because he's suffering so much. He's lost everything. He's suffering physically. And this is something that he suddenly grasps the idea that there's something more to this. And at the very end of that book, after God has appeared and, and sort of rebuked all of them, like Job and his friends, and, and this is what Job says, he says, you know, my, my ears have heard of you, but now I have, my eyes have seen you, and I despise myself, I repent in dust and ashes, because you have been confronted with a living God. And you know, when we compare ourselves to one another, we can, say, we, can, we can look good to ourselves. Or we can look bad, depending on which way you're going. But when we can compare ourselves to God, that's when we realise how far short we fall of what God expects of us and what a failure actually we are and why everybody, everyone needs Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, and this, if there's anybody who doesn't know Jesus, I'd say this. You, know, you can know Jesus. In Romans as well it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Jesus said, you know what, I'm not going to turn anyone away who comes to me. He also said, you know, um, for those who, I forget the exact scripture now, it's gone. Never mind. Something to do with being weary and burdened and he will give them rest. I think you probably know what it is. It's gone from my mind at the moment. So just to carry on with this, these verses. Do you know that God is working for your good? Do you, are you, do, do you feel secure in God's love? That whatever's going on, even though it may be so confusing and you wonder where is God and why me and when is this going to end? But God is working all things for your welfare and for your good and for your well-being because of his love for you and his desire that you be more like Jesus. And that's the crucible in which we find ourselves sometimes. The crucible of God's love where he is getting rid of everything that is not Jesus in you. And that's a lifetime's work. And to carry on with, with the verses... For those God foreknew, and this to me is quite mind-blowing. It says, you know, we know, I think it says somewhere, um, we were saved before the foundation of the world. Before Adam came into, onto, onto the picture, before God laid the foundations of the earth, he knew all about you. Nothing is hidden from his sight. He knew you. And those he foreknew. I think, you know, the way I looked at it was, he knew you. He was only waiting for you to know him. And that's the extraordinary way in which God intervenes in our life. Like we saw with Jemima. 
in my own testimony and I'm sure in all, all your testimonies in, in this room how God intervened how God broke through at just the right time and touched your heart and one day on that day everything changed everything was made new you received a new nature the nature of God himself and you know the old has to diminish and the new that is the new life has to increase and that's what John about to say um, yeah so that's the sort of process that we're going through now in this life the process of sanctification of being made like Jesus and if you can if you can when you're going through those difficult times hold on to that idea you know not what is seen which is temporary but what is unseen which is eternal and he goes on to say and you know I, I'm sure Dr. Martin Lord Jones would have written two books on just these three verses but um, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of Son. There's, there's the process that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So this is, I think, talking about this new race. You know, the first Adam failed. The second Adam, who is Jesus, lived that perfect life that Adam was supposed to live. Whilst he was on the earth, he proved himself to be God. And then he made that extraordinary sacrifice for us because the, we couldn't help ourselves it had to be that way and there is that only way that we can be saved and it was because of God's love for us that he, he took that extraordinary measure you know to, to allow Jesus to die on the cross for us the suffering servant the punishment that brought us peace was laid on him so that we might be reconciled to God and you know all the other things that it mentions here predestined you know called I think you know the gospel is for everyone but that call of God that, is, that, he already, that God knew about because he knew you before the creation of the world it is particular to those who, who, of us who call ourselves Christians you know, it's not everybody maybe gets a call, that call or not, maybe not everybody responds to it. We know that not everybody is saved, sadly. And God does want, he says, he doesn't desire anyone to perish but all to come to salvation. But we see, we see the way God calls, you know, in Jemima's testimony, you know, at the right moment, you know. She was full of fear, you know, having no hope, you know, using scripture without Jesus and failing miserably and one day you know God broke into her life called her opened her understanding touched her heart and she was saved and that's similar to my testimony I think and presumably similar I mean we're all different we all have, there's all so many different ways that we come to God you know some are a bit more dramatic than others which makes it easier sometimes to give a testimony but you know our testimonies are real because we are saved and we have God in our lives. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. These are done as far as God is concerned. God, you know, is the eternal God. For him, 
A day is like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. He doesn't live in time and space the way we do. We were born into this world. We live in this, the confines of time and space. It, it determines us. But we know that one day, one day we'll see Jesus. And the way we are being made like Jesus, and one of the ways that I think God achieves that, is through suffering. Just like with Job and Isaiah even. He saw the Lord high and lifted up the train of his robe filling the temple and he said, his response to that was, I am undone. Woe to me, I am undone because he was confronted with God himself. You know? So all these things, the justification, the righteousness of Christ has been imputed unto us, been placed on us, you know, as far as the east is from the west, so far your sins have been removed from you. That's the sort of meaning. I mean, you can write a book about justification. So I can spend a few minutes or seconds on it. But justify those you justified, you also glorify. That is the hope that we have. Who hopes for what he already has? Our faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It's that certainty, that assurance of God's love and what we have to look forward to in the next life when we die and we will, we will die if we're not raptured I mean we will die and that will be as I think Jemima said even uh, she quoted from Paul to me for me to live is Christ and to die is gain and in a way if you want a, a, a sort of a way of scripturally seeing what it means to be conformed to Christ and what Paul said about for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Jesus said to his disciples, if anybody would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. So there's a cost. It's going to be painful. It's going to be costly. We're very selfish people. We're very self-centered people. But God is changing us to be more like Jesus. He's burning off everything that is not Jesus in our lives. And one day, that work will be perfected in heaven. And we'll see him and we will be like him. So I just want to read one, one thing and then I'll finish in Revelation because it's, I hope it encourages you. It certainly encouraged me when I read it. Let me find it. I had, it, I had it in my other Bible book. it's in Revelation 21 ok I have to find it now so. ok and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying look God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Amen.